Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Right now it is eight forty-one p.m., September twenty-sixth, twenty twenty, and welcome to another episode of the Totally Biased NBA Podcast. Uh, in this episode, right now at the moment,、uh, I'm going to talk some detail, talking detail about what happened yesterday with the Celtics. And、uh, right now, the Denver and the Lakers game has not started yet, so I'm probably going to、uh, talk a little more about that later. Probably going to record this podcast in two separate stints, but let's dive into the Celtics first. So yesterday's episode was、uh, very much reactionary. I basically didn't really provide any analysis on what the Celtics did. That was good. That helped them come back in the second half, or what kept them in it in the first half. And that was very much just going off on my raw emotions as a fan right after a win. So today I'm gonna talk a little bit about what exactly gave the Celtics the energy, the power to come back in the second half, and what really prevented this game from being a blowout in Miami's favor in the first half. So the Celtics is widely known as a great、uh, perimeter team. Our top five players are all perimeter players, with、uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, all being pretty much point guard through small forward. Uh, of course, they can play the four and small ball five even, but really the team's answer is is perimeter players and the team's centers kind of have a job, which is to basically not get exploited and kind of just do their job and be decent. And that's what Daniel Tice did really well this entire year. He was great on defense, he was decent on offense, and he was good enough with everything to、uh, everything to keep this team afloat. And off the bench, we have Ennis Cantor, who is really just—I mean, he's—he's he's a really great post player, and he's a great offensive rebounder. But he is atrocious on defense, and that's why he hasn't seen much minutes in the second and third round, where the guards are actually good and can take advantage of Ennis Cantor in the pick and roll. And、uh, other than that, we have Grant Williams, Robert Williams, which basically are two, you know,、uh, young players who just who are just there when. What we need him. Grant Williams is a little more versatile defensively, and Robert Williams has, he has all the athleticism in the world. Yet he has horrible basketball IQ, and he fouls way too much. He literally bites on every pump fake trying to send the ball to the third roll. However, you know, in the NBA, people are gonna take advantage of that. If you're gonna jump with every shot, they're gonna pump fake, and they're gonna get to the free throw line after every shot. So that's the problem with Robert Williams. However, in game five, in the first half, the player that really kept the Celtics in it in the entire second quarter was, surprisingly enough, Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor came in around midway through the second quarter. We were, I think, we were down like twelve at the point or something like that. He came in, shot four for four to start, scored eight points, grabbed some big offensive rebounds, and、uh, surprisingly enough, was not horrible on the defensive end. You know because. The thing is, Ennis Cantor is slow lateral, laterally, so he can't really move side to side. However, if you really just attack him straight up, I mean, any competent player, any player that's in the NBA can backpedal fast enough to match up with you. And the, what the Miami Heat is, they did run pick and roll. However, when they did run pick and roll, they were just going straight at Ennis Cantor instead of you know going around and trying to go to those dribble handoffs. That really depends on. Um, the lateral quickness of the defender to really keep up with the guard or the forward that's running the、uh, handoff. 
And because Miami really attacked Ennis Cantor straight up, Ennis Cantor was pretty much able to keep up for a lot of it and was able to hold his own. And so Ennis Cantor really provided the Celtics with some key minutes in the second quarter. Now, I am 100% sure uh, Miami is going to fix this. There's no way in hell uh, a coach as good as Spolstra is not going to look at this and say, well, we, there's Ennis Cantor, and how are we not exploiting his foot speed? So I don't know if Brad can play Ennis next game, but you know that was one of the big positives in this game. And another big positive in the third quarter that really, I think, helped the Celtics break the zone defense a lot is another big man, our starting center, Daniel Tice. As a Celtics fan, I've always known Daniel Tice can shoot. And I've seen him make a lot of mid-range floaters, all that kind of stuff. And we all know he shoots like about 34% from the three-point range. He shot 33% in the regular season. I'm not sure. I think he shoots around this in the playoffs as well. But I know he can shoot a low because you can't leave him wide open on the mid-range. And earlier in this series, actually throughout the entire playoffs, he didn't really shoot that many mid-range. He was mainly, he just, when we pass him the ball and he's standing in the middle of the zone, he kind of just holds on to it, look around, and dribble, hand off to another player. He doesn't really try to, you know, attack his own when he's basically left wide open in the middle. So that's what allows Miami to really drop Bam Adebayo, let Bam Adebayo trade off, uh, trail off Daniel Tice, and really to help the, uh, defend the other players, which makes his own a lot more efficient. What Daniel Tice did in the th- uh, third quarter was he started trying these kind of shots. He started when Bam Adebayo trade off him for like, give him too much space, he would uh, pull up and he hit, I think he hit a mid-range and uh, like a mid-range floater kind of stuff. And I think he, and that's about the only two shots he really did take. But however, that was enough to suck Bam Adebayo closer to him. And that created a lot of space for uh, the guards to really work through and to attack the paint a little more efficiently. You know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum was able to attack and really draw fouls, get by defenders, because really, come on, you know, I don't think Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson can guard Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So they were just getting by and attacking the rim. And with Bam Adebayo a little bit sucked out uh, toward the three-point line because of Daniel Tice's mid-range, it's a little bit easier for them to attack this paint. I think this game is the second time in the series where we've seen the Celtics really having some success against its own defense. The first time being Game 3. However, I think this, this time, I think the Celtics really, their attack of the zone defense is a little different. In Game 3, their attack of the zone defense was a lot more methodical, a lot more th- uh, surgical. It was really like finding the weak spot of the defense and attacking that weak, sp- weak spot. And it was very, you know, it wasn't like really in-your-face kind of stuff. It was more strategic in the way they attacked. However, this game, um, I think the Celtics were a little more violent in the way they attacked. They just straight up uh, looked. If there's an opening, they just straight up drove toward it and kicked out if there was nothing. Or, you know, lay it up or get fouled. And I think that put a lot more stress on Miami than it did if, if they attacked the zone defense a lot more methodically. Because it really pushed the pace of the game. And, you know, very surprisingly, when you, look at, when you look at the entire game, when you look at this entire series, whenever the pace is pushed very quick, whenever you see a lot of transition buckets, when you see people just running to the rim and running all over the court, 
it's usually the Celtics that's taking advantage of this pass, uh, this fast pace. And uh, I think during the last series, during the Toronto series, I think the Celtics tried to play a little slower because Toronto is a great transition team. And Toronto wants you to play fast because they can't really beat you solid one-on-one because their best two players in that series were two six-foot guards. So they can't really take advantage of the half-court setting. However, Miami can run enough sets where they can basically kill you with a half-court offense. And basically, they have like 10 shooters on the team. So they can really just run you in the half-court and really get an open three, get a great look, or get a get fouled. Because Miami's really good at getting fouled. Um, so I think the Celtics pushing the pace, kind of attacking it a little more violently, kind of helped the Celtics a little bit. So I think that's what went right in this game. I think the more, more important thing is, I think Miami shot 19% from three. And that kind of does it for a team. Uh, I mean, unless the opposing team is also shooting 19% from three, which I'm not sure what the Celtics shot. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't 19%, like anywhere close to that. So I think that was one of the main reasons why the Celtics won this game. I don't expect Miami to shoot 19% every game. But, you know, the Celtics got to hold on to what worked in this game, which I think is very encouraging. I think it's a little more encouraging than what I saw in uh, game three. Because in this game, I think Celtics shown that they are the better team. And they really went at Miami and were really in their face when they attacked. So I think that's pretty encouraging, I think looking back from a fan's perspective. Of course, again, Miami has Eric's, uh, Eric Spolstra, who's a god great, goddamn great coach. He's probably one of the best coaches in the league, and he will be able to adjust, and he will you know, make the Celtics pay you know, with his schemes and stuff. And uh, let's see what Brad Stevens can pull out of his arsenal, because, I mean... Brad Stevens being out of coaches series, but I just hope he can make it a little more close, make the coaching matchup a little more close uh, for the Celtics. Uh, this game, this game really was very slow in the first half. As I mentioned, you know, when the Celtics push the pace, they generally have an edge. And what we saw in the first half was the game was played really slow. And the Celtics were not playing fast, but they were having really really short possessions. They were chucking up threes whenever they have a look. And I think even though the Celtics played a lot faster in the second half, they were a lot more selective in their shots. They went at the weak points of the offense instead of taking like open threes. And sometimes not so open threes. And in the first quarter, you know, I mentioned in the last podcast, the Celtics, the first nine shots, eight of them were three-pointers, and they missed seven of them. They were one of eight from three. And that does it, you know, that kind of does it well, when they, with regards to digging yourself into a hole. So, you know, Celtics, keep doing that. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, let's, see what, let's see what happens uh, in Game 6. And the thing is, when you look at it, when you look at this entire series, still, after all this I've said positively about the Celtics, I still I'm not sure the Celtics can come back, right? Because Spolstra has been so great at adjustments, and Miami Heat team has just been great. They have played great while, while with Jimmy Butler not having to do much. I mean, this, is, this series has been super relaxing for Jimmy Butler. Like, he literally hasn't needed to do nothing. He hasn't needed to do anything. 
he can chill out and get like 12 points and still see their team winning. And I think that bothers me a lot. I think when the opposing team's best player doesn't even need to play great and you lose, that's not great, especially considering you are technically the better team on paper. So the Celtics, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in Game 6. I am, again, cautiously hopeful with what's going to happen. And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, because I'm a fan, I'm a Celtics fan, I'm supposed to you know, believe in them. So I will believe in them, and I will you know, you know, say Celtics in 7 for as long as I can. And uh, however, after this game, I'm a little less, I'm a little more faithful in the team. I am uh, a little more hopeful. I, I mean, I've seen, I've saw what this team can do now. I've saw, I, I saw some glimpse of potential that this team hasn't shown the entire series. And perhaps the faith I have in this team right now is a little less pure, blind faith. I think it's a little, it's a, it's a little more real now. I mean, the game is st- the, the series is still very much not there for the Celtics. I mean, it's not completely over, but it's pretty much. I mean, still, the Celtics just won the game, then they're still down 2-3. And the Celtics have to win two straight. They have to win three straight. They have won the first one, and they still have to win two straight against the Heat, which I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the Celtics could do it. And uh, if the Celtics winning is contingent on the Heat shooting horribly... I don't see the Celtics winning that because the Heat is not going to shoot horribly every single game and uh, Spolster is not going to make bad coaching mistakes every single game at all. So, again, I believe in the Celtics. I have faith in the Celtics. Realistically, I don't think they're going to come back. Probably not. But I still very much have faith in this team. And uh, we shall see what's going to happen. Right now, it is 2.31 a.m. on the morning of September 27th, and now the Nuggets-Lakers game have officially ended with the Los Angeles Lakers beating the Denver Nuggets 117-107 to advance to the NBA Finals. Now, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing for me as a Celtics fan because I don't think I even need to explain why it's as bad because, you know, the Lakers winning equals to Celtics fans' heartbreak. Now, in this game, LeBron James put up 38 points, 10 assists, and 16 rebounds. And he had some unguardable shots, some incredibly clutch shots made in the game. And no matter how much I hate LeBron and I hate the Lakers, I have to give respect to him because that was a very impressive performance. Especially impressive considering his age. And uh, I think just overall, it was... Even for like a spry 27-year-old in his prime, this is a very impressive playoff performance. Uh, Denver Nuggets threw everyone they had at him, and no one could stop LeBron. And uh, uh, Denver also was handicapped a little bit because Jamal Murray was hurt, and uh, Jokic picked up three first-quarter fouls. So there's a lot of aspects that played into the Denver Nuggets not winning this game. However... The Nuggets actually came close because uh, the Lakers had a 16-point third-quarter lead that they actually squandered uh, to the Nuggets tying the game at 84 with uh, minutes with seconds left to the end of the third quarter. Uh, however, Anthony Davis made a three to end the third quarter to put the Lakers back on top. And uh, since then, the Lakers have held on and expanded the lead even further under brilliant play by LeBron James, who 
led the Lakers to the finals and his own 10th finals appearance. Now, when you look at the Lakers, now that the Lakers are officially in the NBA Finals, um, when you look at the Eastern Conference, I think Lakers is better than both the Celtics and the Heat. And uh, to be honest, at this point, it's more likely that the Heat is going to face the Lakers in the Finals. In that case, I think it's going to be a very easy uh, series for the Lakers because no one's going to be able to match up with LeBron and no one's able to neutralize Anthony Davis. Sure, Adebayo will be able to do some to neutralize Anthony Davis, but that wouldn't be enough. That wasn't enough in the regular season, and that probably wouldn't be enough in the finals as well. After all, the Heat was swept by the Lakers during their regular season series, 0-2. So, on the flip side, uh, if the Celtics can actually hold on and come back in this series, they actually match up with the Lakers a lot better. Uh, the Celtics beat the Lakers by 30 in January in TD Garden, and actually only lost by two in Los Angeles later without Kemba Walker playing. So the Celtics actually do match up really well with the Lakers. Um, at this point, I would have imagined I actually have a whole full-on Lakers rent saved up already because this Lakers team, the way this Lakers team was built and the way that this Lakers franchise has been successful this year is very... It's not only discomforting as a fan of the Celtics, it's also just annoying overall for a fan of basketball. And uh, I have a whole full-on rent saved up for the Lakers, but I'm going to save that for when they actually win the championship, if they actually do win the championship. For now, I think as a Celtics fan, I have to concentrate on this upcoming Game 6 for the Celtics. And I know I say this a lot. I say that... um, it is very much unlikely, it is very difficult, and it is not super realistic that the Celtics will be able to come back and win this series. However, I think after what I saw in Game 5, especially in the second half, I think I am going to allow myself to believe in this team. I'm going to allow myself to full-on believe that we can win this series, because I, the confidence oozing from the team in the second half, the way we comfortably moved on offense and we, the way we attack the passing lanes and uh, be able to neutralize uh, heat offense was very inspiring. So really, I think the Celtics have a good chance of coming back in this series instead of just a dwindling possibility that, I ent- that as a biased fan, I entertain myself with. So with that said, um, I believe in this team going into game six, and uh, the next podcast I do will most likely be, again, the reactionary episode of game six, which hopefully I'll be very happy in talking about game seven. Instead, uh, you know, if they don't come back, I'll probably be, it will probably be an off-season episode, and again, talking about what went wrong this season and what went right. Looking forward to the future. With that said, go Celtics, and Celtics in seven. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Totally Biased NBA Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe for daily podcast uploads. And uh, I will see you guys later.